0: The main problem is that there is a lack of education mm-hmm. on like bias. So when you when you are like a legal professional, like you, you're in-house counsel, you actually have not a lot of opportunities to understand what what is a good question for you to ask, how to evaluate your process, and how to even identify that it's a pain point. Because people would do the same task over and over again and feel comfortable with it because they know it.
1: Hey everyone. Welcome to Bite Size Law. I'm your host Siddharth Menin and I am back with another episode. On today's episode, I had the privilege of speaking with Leila El Garbi, who is a legal professional and has been in the industry for close to a decade. We specifically wanted to touch upon the subject of legal tech implementations. As you all know, legal tech implementations can be really challenging, so our main aim was to unpack most of the pain points that customers generally face while implementing a big tech solution to streamline their legal operations or you know streamline their CLM operations. We also talk about the recipes for success, how you can manage your legal tech implementation so that it is set up for success. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording this. If you do, enjoy it please. Like and subscribe on any of the podcasting platforms that you consume your podcast from. So, without any further ado, let's get to the conversation with Leila Elgarbi. Hey, Leila, welcome to Bite Size Law. How are you?
0: I'm very, very good. The sun is back in London. So, what can I say?
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, here in Toronto, we get one day of sun and the next day is overcast and raining. Just trying to enjoy the weather as long as it lasts (laughs) before the dreaded winter starts.
0: I get that. Totally get that.
1: Perfect. Really happy that you joined Bytesize Law. I've been looking forward to this conversation since the last few weeks. Happy that you found the time uh, because, again, I've I've been following you on LinkedIn for quite some time. I really enjoy the posts and the topics that you talk about, which is definitely in the area that I am fascinated about in the legal operations world. So uh, without any further ado, for all the listeners, Leila, could you introduce yourself, how your journey has been, how you ended up in legal operations and things like that?
0: Yes. So I like to say that I'm... uh... Recovering yet relapsing sometimes, like lawyer. So, <laughs> so I'm. I actually have like maybe like almost like ten years of experience in the legal industry, and I'm kind of proud that I'm. I I've tried almost everything. So I worked in private practice, worked as in house, and that led me to legal technology. technology. legal tech was a bit of an accident because I didn't really understand the job description, but that was when I applied <laughs> for. Alcohol. But that would be a story for another day. But anyways, that experience as a lawyer and suffering and seeing that the, the, there was no processes, that there was no consideration for for time or for work-life balance, like really helped me into my passage, like me going to the, to the other side in legal tech, because then you have to ask yourself the right questions or oh, in legal innovation, what can we improve like? And... Trying to see like what was what was wrong before, and like putting myself in client shoes, like whether they are internal clients or external clients, to make it better. So so yeah, so I'm a I'm a recovering lawyer, passionate about innovation and passionate about uh, mental health, diversity, and I really really feel that legal innovation and legal ops in particular give. An opportunity to a lot of people that are diverse that come from different backgrounds and maybe that wouldn't be that successful in a classic career uh, they give them opportunity to shine and to bring all their personality in so
1: absolutely yeah, yeah. i completely 100 agree to that because when i have been interacting with a lot a lot of legal operations professionals and the community is so inclusive, so welcoming. Everybody is eager to support each other. Like I had a conversation with Marie Widmer, who is part of the Legal Ops Uncensored. You know, but the, the community is great, which you are also a part of. You know, everyone's eager to help each other. It's a support system. Even as a podcast host who uh, it's very difficult to, yeah. you know, get guests when you are Solely relying on LinkedIn or other networking channels, you know, to interact with people and get them on the podcast. But, you know, everyone is willing to lend a helping hand, which is the stuff that I love about legal operations community. So I 100% agree to what you just said. You know, it's diverse, it's inclusive, and all that amazing things. And going back to uh, the fact that you were an accidental legal operations professional, it's a similar journey for me as well. I don't think anyone intentionally, at least 10 years back, you know, intentionally stepped into the legal operations role. But, you know, it's it's an accident that I really, really enjoy. And I wouldn't want anything else in my career other than to do this.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a happy accident. And there's just something I've said before, but... I don't want people to think that, oh yeah, you're in legal ops because you were not successful in, you know, like all the career path, because I could have been like a happy in-house lawyer or happy like private practice lawyer. But this is an alternative career path that is as valuable as the other. It's an alternative one, not like a one like when you failed, like, you know, for all the losers. (laughs) It's literally like a great career path. So it's just like, for some reason, that is great, actually, that we can, I cannot like really understand really, but it embraces more diversity. It embraces more like things that the legal, classic legal careers should embrace anyways. But that would be a conversation for, for another day. Like so many <laughs> interesting topics to. That, that'll be, about.
1: that'll, that'll need a separate episode on its own. So <laughs> we can park that for the time being. Well, keeping the theme in mind for today's episode, we're going to talk about tech implementation, specifically tips for making the legal tech implementation a success, or to make it in, put it in simpler terms, how to ensure that you don't fail your tech implementation. So right off the bat, how do you ensure that the clients are ready to embrace technology in the sense like, you know, what is your strategy or how would you advise a potential customer who is looking for a legal tech product like a CLM or anything else to, you know, implement in their environment?
0: Yeah, so I would say like uh, how to be ready is like kind of a very like, like big question. But I would advise people not to to take really seriously the pregame like you know like it's uh you don't go and see a vendor or buy a tech without looking within so my top tip would be like to really assess their needs and that's the first step you should do it's not like oh yeah i heard that tech is great or i see like everyone's talking about clm why not me? <laughs> you know, like it's it's not like that that it happens. And I, you know, like across like all these things, I came up with like top few questions, but like before I go into like the categories of questions, like what of the main thing is like asking yourself like what task is painful actually to do? What can it and if it's painful, can it be automated? You know, like, what process could be improved? What are the priorities? You know, like, int- like really getting, like, hands on, like, your hands dirty and, like, going through a gate, like, your internal stakeholders. Like, think of the cost of the current p- process. Because, like, people, like, tend to forget, like, oh, yeah, we're going to buy a tech to save costs. Like, but what's the cost of today's process like Mm -hmm. what is it costing you you know like what are the main required capabilities that of a tool that you you know that are necessary for you to get where you want to get and do we have actually a process in place because some team have no process in place so you know like so you don't have like you you don't have to go that far to understand that, you know. It's like it's really simple. Like, is it broken? Is is what we're doing? Is it broken? Like, are well, we trying to fix something that is actually working properly? And sometimes, like people are like, yeah, but it's not because it's it's not broken that it's actually working. So that's why you have to ask yourself the right questions. And because why would you invest money and time into something that is w- working? Except the the exception would be like if your company is growing. And what works now would not work in the near future. So it's better to change the process while it's still manageable, rather than wait that your company is growing and you know, like, and all you're gonna get bought by someone or like buy like few entities and then it's gonna go out of hand. So it's really important to like look into the mirror. Um, there are a lot of analogies I I'm gonna use (laughs) during this podcast, but a lot of people say like you know, like get in front of mirror and get naked. So this is kind of the uncomfortable experience that we, even as human being, we can understand like how uncomfortable it can be. Like you know, imagine like the Zara shop light, you know that <laughs> is not really advantageous for anyone, and you know like mirror up in front and naked. So that's the type of image you need to visualize for for your legal tech team, for for your legal team when you're trying to look in from within, and you know like embrace whatever you have. Mm-hmm. And what could you? prove you know like so and then that starts like with maybe like categories of questions which are the why the what the who and the how okay. so it's top four yeah so
1: so, <laughs> so maybe
0: so, yeah
1: yeah so if I have to unpack a bit that you just said definitely identifying the pain points where where in the process is is the team having the most amount of challenges in for example you know cycle time or being uh, not getting the contracts reviewed by the legal team on time, having no visibility into your existing contracts that have been executed. So basically, the point is that you need to identify the pain points and be honest with yourself whether this particular pain point or challenge can be fixed by technology. Because like you rightly mentioned initially, Don't jump onto the bandwagon of tech implementation just because your peers or because your, you know, uh, competitors are doing because every organization has their own unique issues or problems to solve. So is that a fair take on what you said?
0: Yes, it's definitely like a fair take. Like sometimes I I just feel like the, the main problem is that there is a lack of education. Mm -hmm. on like bias. so when you when you are like a legal professional like you you're in house counsel you actually have not a lot of opportunities to understand what what is a good question for you to ask how to evaluate your process and how to even identify that it's a pain point because people would do the same task over and over again and feel comfortable with it because they know it so and they and they would not be trained for example to understand that or oh, this is a pain point for the business. So that's a fair take. But in the same time, like when you don't know, you know, like you cannot know that maybe it's a pain point or you will be like, oh, yeah, this is annoying. But actually it cannot be autom- it cannot be automated. So, you know, like even, you know, it cannot be fixed by technology. And that comes with education of these legal professionals. And that's why you know it's so important to have like communities like legal options and third or like clock or all these communities that came up there or like even Bright Flag, you know, that have like a very brilliant blog that come or, you know, like your podcast and, you know, like a, mm-hmm. all these things that educate around like, you know, the this topic. So, so yes, yeah, so on top of asking the right questions and identifying the pain points is to then link these pain points with the business issue. Because mm-hmm. if you pain point, it's not a business issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And so how do you justify it? How do you justify the cost? Yep. So so yeah, Absolutely. I feel like we're yeah. in the Pandora box right now. Like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the first tip itself would
0: <laughs> yeah. take
1: up an entire hour. So yeah, definitely it has to tie up with your business objective because, you know, then you won't have a justification for spending that amount of money for implementing tech. So tying that back to the research or choosing the right technology. So do you have any strategies that you tell your clients on how to research or how to choose a specific kind of technology? Because we have so many players in the market, even looking at CLM as an example, you have Icertus Ironclad, Agiloft. So how would you go about doing your research to choose A technology from a long menu of technologies for a specific use case?
0: Yeah. So, so that's actually a very good question. And that is, I feel like, you know, it's like the Pandora box question. So, so the the first step is to, as I said, the, the, the self assessment, you know, and asking yourself the right question. So, once you have the kind of why. So understanding your why. So that would be like the first things. So why should we innovate and you know why should we do it now and why do we need a tool? If you if you can answer the the that why, then you kind of have like a broad idea. So I would say like the the first thing is to identify like what are your metrics, what are the 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 points you are trying to solve. So and that would actually give you then kind of an idea of of the type of tech you need because depending on your need (laughs) you know like not have the same and then we we enter into like the competition like which CLM tool but the first thing is like to to understand like what type of problem you have and how this problem can be fixed and if this problem can be fixed by technology what type of technology so if we take for example like the contract management or CLM issues like there are a lot of companies that here that hearing that, you know, like CLM are like life-saving. But what the CLM is actually doing, it helps you, you know, like it's a, a life cycle management tool that helps you, you know, like automate contracts, sometimes like, you know, generate templates, negotiate contracts, these type of things. But what it doesn't help you, it doesn't help you if 90% of your contracts are actually not generated in-house.
1: Mm-hmm. You are
0: just signing contracts that come to your end. Then mm-hmm. like, why would you invest on a CLM? Hmm. Except if you like such a big company that this 10% is actually thousands of contracts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then, you know, like you could benefit from a CLM. But if you're not generating those contracts on a daily basis, maybe you should like invest on a contract analytics tool. You know, Mm -hmm. there are tools that are available in the market that helps you like, that are powered by AI, that helps you like identify clauses to, and then you could have like, you know, like a table with like, like all the clauses extracted. So that would be like another type of tool, you know. So it's really important to identify first you need to understand then what type of tool. And then it will, it's like a question of evaluating those tools. So once you have like this, uh, this idea of the tool, let's say you have a CLM, So there are like few ways of identifying what could be good for you. If you have friends that are open to talk to you (laughs) and that are working for similar company as yours, like the same size, same same type of company, you could ask them or have access to a community and say like, you know, what type of tool are, are you using? Which tool? So that gives you like maybe like by doing like a little like investigation, the top three tools. Otherwise, it's there are like so many websites out there that you know like gives like an idea of like what type of CLM they are. But you know, I wouldn't really bother on that. I would just choose like a top three one that gives you maybe like use cases about like similar companies and then evaluate them, ask them the right questions, be ready when you go there
1: mm-hmm. and
0: ask them for feedback on experience of similar clients because they have access to that to to these resources. Yep. And then try. Obviously, that's another step but yeah. yeah it's um there are so many choices out there that it becomes actually complicated to know where to start but once you know exactly what you need or that you know the size of com- the company the size of the contract so that would depend on so many criteria before yep. you know like you you know which one to invest and in. as yep. well like what's your budget what's you know like
1: yep yeah cost definitely matters as well as uh, your specific. Objective also matters for like you rightly mentioned, if a contract analysis is your main goal or end goal, there's no point in implementing a full-fledged CLM tool. You just yeah. have to invest in a contract analytics tool, uh, whereas in terms of research, asking the vendors for a demo use cases, also getting testimonials from maybe other customers as to how their tech implementation went are all great strategies, which I 100% agree so especially when it comes to implementation you it's not just the like as a legal operation specialist how do you ensure that you involve all the right stakeholders like if at the end of the day uh, you choose a technology but at the same time you need to have that buy-in from your internal stakeholders as well I know it is challenging involving all the stakeholders and bringing them on the table in your journey or in your opinion how do you manage that the involvement of internal stakeholders
0: yeah so when i'm advising like in-house you know as a consultant i always tell them don't get too excited like if you ever have to present a project don't go straight to the decision maker you know if you if you're not the one who has the money or the check so it's really important the first step is like first of all to identify them because mm-hmm. it's not always like the gc or the legal ops or the legal counsel that comes to you does not always have the knowledge of who's going to be involved. So first step is identifying the stakeholders. And it's like, who, which teams are involved into the buying and selection process? You know, like most of the time you need IT. You need maybe, depending on the size of the company, like the procurement team, legal, finance, et cetera. And you know, like who's going to give you the the budget? You know, is it the CFO? Is it, you know, the CLO? The CEO? I don't know. Like, so depending on that, you kind of you should like adapt to your, your strategy. Because if you are a legal counsel and the one deciding is your GC, then the general counsel knows what type of issues you're facing normally. He's not like ob- oblivious to them. So it's easy to describe these pain points and you know like get somebody in. But if you're going to the CO or the CFO, then you need to build the case a bit differently. Mm-hmm. So and that comes with like the knowledge. So making I'm going to insist a lot on like making the, you know, like the, the assessment, like, so assessing what's, what's happening first. So let's say you have like thousands of contracts that are going like every day, they are simple contracts, but maybe like by uh, the, you know, like they are worth like maybe like 300 K worth of, uh, you know, like a lawyer time. (laughs) So it's, it adds up. So it's a lot of money. So it's assessing from, Assessing the, the process, like the cost of it. And once you have built like a use case, this is when you go to the economical buyer. We'll call yeah. it like the, 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 one, the, that, the one that... Makes a decision,
1: has, takes a decision yeah. to buy in or not, yeah.
0: Yeah, and make sure that you are educated as well on the procurement pro- process because sometimes you want to change things and you have an urgent project. Let's say, you know, I don't know, there is an MA <laughs> transaction coming. So, you know, you better know quick, like what is the procurement like process. So there are lots of things that we 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 tend to to forget when it comes to internal stakeholders, like who's gonna, you know, like give the budget, who is gonna approve, you know, the the buying, you know, all, all of these things. It actually means that now the lawyer, if a lawyer is buying, he has to be like educated on so many things. And I feel that is as well like the role of the legal tech vendor to assist the GC, the legal department, who is buying, to make sure that they are getting, you know, the approval. Not that obviously, like any legal tech vendors want to to sell, so that is no brainer. But if it's the right fit, I'm I'm really talking in a situation where everyone is honest, and you know, we 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 find that yeah, this is the perfect solution. You know, trial went like great, etc. Like, don't leave you, you know, like it's an uh, advice for legal tech vendor don't leave like your lawyer just go to the go to the economical buyer and be like oh yeah, I have a great tool like yeah we should buy it <laughs> yeah. they would be like but why like yeah why should We should buy it oh because you know like what we had like was not working no like what are the reasons like why yeah. should we buy like what's the cost like what is the ROI? so don't leave your potential buyer hanging and like going into a f- room full of experts and like not knowing how to start their yep. the, um, the project. You,
1: yeah, you need to make an educated decision rather than a decision based on, uh, you know, guesswork. You can't guesstimate whether this particular tool is going to solve your problem or not. So um, education, being able to articulate why you need to take this decision to buy this product has to be... Of utmost key so again how would you train someone or how would you educate someone who do not who doesn't someone who doesn't know legal tech product at all if for example for me um, I'm a project manager with Coho Consulting which is you know we are implementation partners for Agileoft as well as Isertis there have been situations where customers have bought Um, a CLM product, but at the same time, they're not ready with any of their process flow or, you know, uh, contract types. They don't even have templates for each contract type. So there have been situations where we had to spend a lot of time on these discovery workshops trying to educate them. However, it just adds on to the budget as well as it adds time to the timeline. You end up implementation- the implementations, which were supposed to be six months, you know, ended up being 12 months. So before, let's say a customer gets into the implementation world, how would you educate them as to the necessary steps needed to ensure that you are actually choosing the right product? Like, do you have any strategies for training them or education or or educating them? Is there like a pre-implementation analysis that you've had experience running before somebody, you know, bought a product?
0: Yes. So it's, I feel like it's all on a bit like, you know, as a legal tech vendor, you know, you have like questions like that you need to ask in order to assess like, you know, why would you buy that? You know, what's the pain point, you know, like uh, what's the cost of the current process? So that are things that I I believe that buyers, because they are isolated, you know, like most of the time, except if they're part of the community, they don't know Well, they don't know, (laughs) which is obvious, but they might not know that their system is broken. So it's while asking these questions and not rushing the the buy-in. So it's about to say like, okay, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And if you don't know, like just take the time to, you know, like regroup, reassess and come back to me. But what is happening? And really asking questions, not in order to, you know, like to be like, oh, yeah, so I this is the right product for you. No, it's like really like trying to ask like random questions like, you know, what I, I said before, like, you know, if we talked about contracts, so how many contracts, you know, like they are simple questions, mm-hmm. like how many contracts are you negotiating per year? Mm-hmm. How many type of contracts? Are the contracts negotiating, you know, like coming, do you have templates, you know, all these type of things. And depending on the answers, you might need or not need, you know, like a, a CLM or contract analytics tool, etc. How much time is it taking? You know, do you use like external counsel? Like all these questions are there to assess the cost and the level of difficulty of your contract management system, mm-hmm. you know, and... Sometimes it's people don't have that much of an issue, as, except what I'm saying, when it's like a growth like situation, then maybe you want to put like systems early because you know that the company is going to grow and blow up. And so what you want is like making sure that you have it right from the beginning. So I would al- always like tailor my questions based on the level of education of the person I have in front of me.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: because that that would be important if a person knows like what a CLm does then I don't need to educate them but it's really important that we speak a lot and that's why I really encourage like as well like uh content on LinkedIn of the limitation of a CLM tool
1: mm-hmm.
0: of the timeline as well because people think it's an easy fix but as you mentioned like six months what we thought would take six months take 12 months I'm not even surprised like I'm <laughs> I always yeah. tell people like Olympics, at least like between one and three years to 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 be like really implemented so let's be honest about that let's try and be honest about the the time consumption how much time and and telling people if you are in for this run you're gonna invest time you will need time and it's like you know like it's a marriage <laughs> you know like yeah. you need to invest yourself it's not a fling you know it's not it's, it's yeah. not a, a one-off you know it's not a a tool that is done for purpose let's say for MA due diligence and then you never hear about it no yep. it's like it's a marriage like you you are a, you need to commit to the tool so yeah so but as i mentioned you know like so the questions are always like for me i put them in a few categories like and then i ask my my, my clients these type of questions like the the why the what the who and uh, for the who is like who is involved uh, like who are the the potential champions, like who will be leading the process, etc. Who are the road blockers as well? Like really important to know in advance. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, there are so many
1: road blockers out there. It's just yeah. uh, it's a challenge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's really challenging. And then the the how the how is really really important to assess, like if it's going to be a CLM tool and what type of CLM. But like, and people like tend to forget that they don't know how to gather the data needed to evaluate the return on investment. So let's say they're gonna buy a tool and then they're gonna be like, oh yeah, it's gonna make a save time, but how do you evaluate that? So, you know, like, it's like really asking the right question and giving, I feel like the power is always in the questions. It's not often in the, I don't have like a recipe of like how, like, because everyone will have like different answers, but I can give people like a set of questions that would help them like, you know, like get to that answer themselves. Correct. Like the the power is really on the questions you asked how to to make it work.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's, like you rightly mentioned, even before we started recording, uh, I don't think there's a recipe per se where you follow step by step to ensure uh, a successful implementation. All you can do is give tips or best practices to ensure that it is implemented in the most effective manner. But each customer has their own unique challenges. So it's not like a one-size-fits-all sort of a solution, any sort of legal tech, unless we are talking about something like e-discovery, because it's pretty straightforward, right? You have an e-discovery tool where you conduct the review of documents created as privileged, non-privileged, confidential, relevant, non-relevant. So, but when it comes to contracting, you're looking at a different ballgame altogether.
0: Yes, and it has like an in, incidence, like as lawyers, we become like kind of part of the business. So, you know, like these contracts have a huge impact on the business. And once you know how to gather the data, and it's as well like depending on what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to save costs? Are you trying to be more efficient? You know, like it's, but it has an impact on the business, anyways. So, but I might not have like a recipe, like I mentioned, for success, but actually, I came up with like kind of my top favorite five tips. Or in order to not to be bad, not to suck at legal tech implementation, and I can. <laughs>
1: keep, yeah? Are those the Layla's mantras? <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, so yeah, it's really important. You know, like, if you want to make sure you you're good, you know. Like, so so the the number one, the really really important one, is implementation strategy. Hmm let's say you know you already like f- found your tool etc so that's like before so the as i mentioned you know like there are so many tools out there so it's you know like it's, most of the time it's hard to know where to start which provokes actually like a very human reaction so in ourselves which is like kind of a fight flight or freeze reaction you know uh, except it's like legal tech edition <laughs> so you can go to this analysis paris paralysis mode and i'm like you know what you know, all these tools are like kind of similar so not kind of similar you know they all have their their differentiators so just if you have the right questions you would be able to to trick this you know to how do you say it like in the pre-buying process if you are empowered with the questions you will be able to be on top of the conversation rather than being sold to so it's really important to take the power back mm-hmm. it's a two-way conversation it's compared to dating you know like you you know like you 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 go prepared like are you what are you looking for so you know like so you can ask the person in front of of you like if they are like relationship material so you know just
1: yep you know i've I've been there many times so i 100% (laughs) agree
0: so yeah so you don't you don't get married to the first person you swipe right on you know on the on the on the on the meeting like uh, on the dating uh, app so same with the with the legal tech vendor you know like come prepared but be be ready to have this conversation not to just be there for the free meal and then be like oh yeah I can.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> just be prepared with your question ensure that you you're not just listening to the conversation have your inputs ready like you mentioned just ensure it's a two-way street rather than the one rather than a one-way street yeah
0: yeah, make sure they're checking the boxes, and you know that they they be able to treat you like the royalty that you you are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny that uh, the the uh, the podcast got sidetracked to like dating tips <laughs> rather than implementation tips. But
0: yeah, I I love I love analogies, so it really works well with the legal tech. You know, Absolutely. like legal tech buying game is like a dating game you know there are sharks out there there are people who are lying on their profile you know they're telling you that they're going to sell you dream and you know make your life easier in 10 minutes it's not true it takes six months it takes twelve months so don't you know like so you have to kind of you know like filter through all these fake profiles and fake promises yep. you know in order to you know and and like don't get unmotivated you know after after the first one it takes time to find the right one you know like you
1: you got to stay committed
0: yes stay committed to the process you know once you have your process in place and you know your worth and (laughs) and what you need i'm joking like so now we so it's it's actually like a good analogy so people can relate to it absolutely and and then so that's like in the pre-buying like come prepared you know like commit to the relationship and in the implementation stage, we took the perfect example of the complicated CLM implementation, but the, the implementation work will depend on the size of the company, the number of contracts, et cetera. So you have to come up with the implementation strategy. You cannot wing it. You cannot think like, oh yeah, we're going to buy the tool and then we're going to see like, what's the time frame? How are you? No, what are you trying to achieve in how many months? Like, how are you going to do that? Come up with like, bigger picture and then like smaller steps the second tip was obviously like the you know what we discussed before the preparation before choosing the tool which is the owning your narrative so you're not getting sold to and what are you trying to achieve so that is like a very important questions like are you trying to save time are you trying to save money to improve efficiency ensure compliance all of the above no don't buy in in the short don't buy a tool If you have no identified use for it. If it's not helping any of those categories, then you know, like move on. The third tip is having allies. It's so important to have champions, to have people who support you, Mm -hmm. because implementing tech, even the simplest one, means that you need to involve all the important stakeholders. And the and success is like a very simple recipe. This one, that time I have a recipe, it's like, People, process, and tech. Yep. Three together. You know, you know, if you don't have the people, you you are doomed to uh, fail. And so, it's really important to choose wisely your champions. Who's going to be supporting your projects? Who do you know has like appetite for change, etc. And make sure you know what the economic buyer in your structure is looking for as a result,
1: mm-hmm. because
0: then it would be easier to influence their decision and make sure that your plan that you have for your department is actually fitting that purpose.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you, you go there like prepared. And IT is your best friend, like we're not alone. So <laughs> the first rodeo, so go and ask them questions and ask as well, like in your team. So when I say like allies within the company, it can be like all the departments that are used to implement tech and do things like the sales department, finance department, these people are used to take to use tech in a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So they might have like tips that could be like useful for you. Mm -hmm. So so that is very important. People, people, people like having allies within the company in order for you to succeed. The fourth one is to be able to seek support. Mm -hmm. So don't stay on your own. So we say people, but the biggest advice is to know that tech walks into an ecosystem. So it's very important to integrate into the bigger picture and with other systems that are already in place, like I mentioned before, you know, like with IT and to not stay isolated because this is the biggest trap. Like you you buy your tech and then you're like, oh, what do I do now? And you don't know where to start because it's your first time. So you as I mentioned, you know, like with allies, like don't hesitate to ask the other departments and as well like hire external resources. So when I say like seek support, is to understand that sometimes buying tech means that you need to invest extra dollars mm-hmm. on hiring like people like yourself so that helps with the implementation process yep. people that are DevOps consultants you know or you know like this is so important to to know when to seek support and when this support is actually outside of the company especially when we don't have time to do the implementation ourselves
1: yeah. Yeah. You need that technical support because like, you know, CLM or any other tech products out there do not act as a plug and play. There's a lot of customization as well involved, right? So I 100% agree to that.
0: And then my fifth tip is very simple, is leave if you must.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so that one is like, you know, don't stay in a toxic relationship. If it's not working for you, than live. You know, it's better to leave the boat now than, you know, like, you know, sinking with it and, you know, let like the whole business sink with it. So, because what people need to understand as well, like, even though like it's very painful, but sometimes staying like costs you more than like living. And so you invest so much time. You know, like, it's a bit like relationship. You see, we, we go back to dating. So <laughs> yeah. You invest so much time and sometimes money. So it's so hard to let it go. But you know, when it's not serving you, it's not serving you. And and I'm saying, like, really, when the tech was definitely not the good fit, when the tech was not the right thing, because you didn't ask yourself the right reason, the right questions. Not when you didn't do anything that I said before, and you didn't allocate time in order to succeed in your legal tech implementation. You didn't, you know, like do like all the necessary steps. So the the it's easy to blame you know, the other, you know, to blame. It's easy to say, oh yeah, bad, bad tech, you know, it was not me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: uh... exactly. If you ensure, if the customer ensures that, you know, out of these five tips, if you diligently follow the first four tips, then you don't have to leave at the last moment, right? Because like time and costs are involved. Sometimes you invest a lot of money as well. And then you know that this is not what we wanted because, Of the fact that we didn't do our due diligence properly. So I guess that goes back to the fundamental theme of our discussion is that you have to be prepared. Uh, You need to have a strategy like you mentioned. You need to have your uh, objectives prepared. You need to have your people, process and technology ready and also have the technical support ready. Otherwise, you are looking at a situation where you're going to leave the table with a lot of money and time lost
0: yeah yeah no one wants that <laughs> I mean, you don't <laughs> want to be responsible for for, for having the little going bankrupt you know yeah i'm sure they got the budget approved but yeah i feel as well like a lot of time people are not uh, aware that investing in a tool means that you're gonna save all the lines of budget mm. and as well like on clm like something that we discussed as well with Marianne, I'm sure she discussed as well, like with you, is that sometimes you buy the tool and then you need to buy support from, from, from the legal tech provider. And I feel that the legal tech provider should be transparent as well on saying that, in general, for your type of structure, this is what's happening and not it, it being a surprise. So let's say you have like your head of legal ops, like, you know, like negotiating the budget. for for that type of tool. And then six months down the line, they realized that actually they need like 50K more, 100K more uh, to to implement the tool. And then, you know, like how to ask for that help, you know? Like no one wants to be like, oh yeah, by the way, I -hmm. forgot that, that," you know? So it's really important to, as well for legal tech vendors, even if it's hard to be transparent in terms of the whole cost. And I know that that it's a hard competition out there, but. If we were all really transparent, if there were more conversations about the real cost of buying a tech tool, then people would not get, you know, like scammed or, you know, like buy a tool and then like not knowing what to do with that. Because sometimes like implementation phase, because they don't have the budget or time to actually implement it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As uh, tech implementers as well, One is to choose the right technology as well as... So for the customer's perspective, it's not just to choose the right technology. Sometimes you need to choose the right technology partner as well to implement tech. Because if a partner is just there to implement the technology, listen to the customer and do as the customer says, I wouldn't say that would be the right way to look at implementation. Because as a tech partner, you need to educate the customer as well as to the best practices. And then give them ideas. Okay, maybe you don't have to have a complicated workflow. Let's talk about simplifying it. And that is crucial. I've been working with tech implement partners. I've worked in previous organizations where the support staff were not able to educate the customers on best practices. They were just listening to the customer and implementing any convoluted workflow that the customer presented to them. So that's a very good and an important point that... People should keep in mind. Yeah, uh, I know that we are running out of time, but I just want to quickly touch upon change management because this is not something that normally people talk about, uh, especially in the implementation world. I mean, the people do talk about it, but customers generally do not think about it prior to implementing. How important is a change management strategy? Because let's say that you've implemented your technology, implementation has gone seamlessly well. However, When you're rolling out this technology to the larger audience within your organization, people get perplexed. Oh my gosh, I was following a particular process for the last five years. Now you ask me to use this particular tool to avoid surprises within an organization. Yes, we have stakeholders who take the key decisions. But at the same time, there are employees who use the system. How do you alleviate that anxious situation among employees who use the legal tech product on a day-to-day basis? How can we ensure that you have an effective change management system already in place so that you're not putting people up for a surprise?
0: Yes, I feel like sometimes the solution is very simple. Involve people. You know, I know it seems like very logic and like I kind of saying something that is quite obvious, but like people would tend to follow a decision or or like user tech if it was based on their input. So if you say that you have implemented your tech successfully without involving the users, then I would say, I'm not sure that that implementation was successful because like who took the decision normally, like you, it's not that necessary, like a pain point from a user, but like what was not working, you know, from the user perspective. And most of the time users have like very great insight on, you know, like what's going on, what's working well. And so if you don't involve them in the process or at least if you already bought it and you know it's too late, (laughs) make sure that you are like a mastermind and you know how to ask them questions to make them believe that that decision was based on their issues. So it's very easy to ask people, like I know no one who's really happy with what they're doing or the process is into place. So the idea is to run like sometimes like surveys or to understand like, okay, so you're doing that so far, like how much time is it, you know, like how much time are you spending on it? Like, is it like painful? Is the process painful? Like, do you see where is it going? But when people are involved in the bigger picture, when they know what they're doing, they tend to follow. And like as well, like, you know, like making sure that you give time for people to adapt to the new process and not giving them like a new task out of the blue on top of the daily tasks. So that's as well, like something is very important for leadership to take into account that when you're bringing change to the table, you need to give time and resources for people to adapt to these changes. Otherwise, they're just going to see it as like another task on top of their daily tasks to do. And it's not gonna, you know, and you're gonna have like resistance to change. You're gonna have people who're gonna be like, Oh, okay, I don't wanna, you know, like use that. I'd rather use my my, you know, like, word templates rather than this. But you know, like, ask. It's always like that. As simple as that. When you, re- you when you respect people, you might be surprised, and they might even give you tips on implementing because people would. And that's why I say like, choose your champions. If you don't ask the users, how are you gonna find a champion? Do you think it's just like you're gonna say like, oh yeah, I like this guy, is gonna do it. No, you need to, when you're doing your survey, you're gonna see that there are people who are more invested than others that would be more passionate. They're gonna be like, oh yeah, I yep. would have done that like that. So go with these people. Say, tell them that okay, from now on you have 20% of your time dedicated to that. How can we improve things? And then like people would follow, you know, like it's it's so important to the the, the basic tip I would say on change management would be like to 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 involve people then uh, otherwise it's it's just like you can make decisions depending on the size of the of the team sometimes you know like your team is a team of one it's just you you know like it's a team of two so you know the question is not that it's not that of a big deal but when you have like hundreds of lawyers like all of all over the world like or like thousands of employees that needs to use the new tech then you have an issue then you need to be more prepared so
1: yep I 100% agree to that. There's a lot to talk about. Maybe we should do a round two sometime, you know, in the future. But before we go, uh, Lela, how can people reach out to you?
0: So uh, the best way is LinkedIn. I'm um, always available on on LinkedIn. I love to speak about legal tech implementation. So... Just send me a DM or follow my page you know i i have like a very great and funny content
1: <laughs> i, I mean, absolutely so, agree to that and, <laughs> with various that. analogies yes
0: and beautiful souls in legal tech if you are like a legal ops or legal tech professional or just like a legal professional and you uh, want to share your story about you know like how you made it um and i'm always like very curious about very keen on diversity and inclusion and I love to hear people's stories and I love to put spotlight on people. So so it's either like LinkedIn on Beautiful Souls in Eagle Tech or Leila Elgarbi on uh, on LinkedIn. So so yeah, this is how you can reach out to me.
1: Awesome. Leila, once again, it was amazing talking to you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening.
0: Thank you. You too.